So first I want to remind you of a few things. You see on page three, you look at page three. Shoftim, Perikavala Pasuk The Pasuk says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did whatever he thought was correct. Now this Pasuk is the last Pasuk of the book of Shoftim. So if you remember, you remember Nevi'im Rishonim are divided sort of into two parts. Right? There's Yoshua and Shoftim. And then after that, there's Shmuel and Melachim. Right? Those, that's the way I would like to divide them up. So Yoshua and Shoftim are the books of charismatic leadership. Charismatic leadership, a term that was coined by Max Weber, and which everybody, all the teachers of Tanakh know. Charismatic leadership is the kind of leadership that arises when it's needed. In other words, when, when there's oppression by some foreign country or when there is some lack in the, in the system of growing uh, um, grains and for consumption. So somebody comes along and takes care of the problem. And they are called, those people are called in our literature, shoftim, judges. Now being a shofet might have been a permanent job, might have been. I mean, I don't know exactly how, you know, who paid for the shoftim unless it was bribes. But it could have been. Can we join you? <laughs> you could join me, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, he's going to be there. There's nothing now. I know, but he will. He's always there when I finished. I, I mean, I'm happy if you join, but. This is I'm Rabbi Chaim. Oh, all right. One bit for smart. We'll join you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so the books of Shoftim, Yoshua and Shoftim, are the books of the charismatic leaders. We know their names. They're, they're presented to us in the book of Shoftim. The book is of, of Shmuel, the book of Shmuel and Lachim are the books of kingship. And for some reason, for some reason the Jews couldn't get along with the charismatic leaders, even though they liked them, but they couldn't ever produce kingship out of them. And, and so eventually, eventually there was a problem and that problem is represented in Shmuel Aleph Perik Chet. When the people come, the people come to complain. No, it's not, not on the sheet. The people come to complain. They don't have a king, and they want a king. They thought that if they had a king, they come to Shmuel Anavi to, to complain that they don't have a king. And they all say, you know, if we had a king, everything would be better. If we had central government, if we were organized, Everything will be better. Shmuel Anavi violently opposes this direction and says the following. If you look at the second thing on page three, see Shmuel Aleph Perichet. Vayomer, Zeyed Mishpat This is the way the king will deplore himself. This is what the king is going to do. Listen carefully. Who will be the king over you? He will take your sons. Obviously, they call that a draft today. And they will work for him. They'll like pulling his chariot, uh, and his horses. He's going to have a lot of people running. You know, he'll draft them. He'll draft all the uh, he'll draft all of the sons. Pasuk Yudbet, v'lasul lo sarei alafim v'seichamishim. There'll be uh, people responsible for thousands and fifty thousand. In other words, this army that he's going to build will have uh, all sorts of officers uh, involved. 
And then he's going to need, the king is going to need people to work for him, to, to turn over his soil and to plant in his, in his property. And he's going to need people to make arms for him and to make chariots for him. This is Shmuel Hanavi talking. Shmuel Hanavi is trying to explain to the people, trying to say to the people that it, it's not in their interest to have a king because kings cost money and, and they cost a lot of money. And since before this moment in history, there was no king in Israel. So this money was not being spent. These young men were not being drafted. These weapons were not being created. So all of that, Shmuel Adavi reminds them of all of this, of all of this. Ved benoteichem, pasuk yud gimel. Ed benoteichem yikach, lirakachot letabachot lofot. They'll take the young women and they'll give them jobs. You know, they'll have to cook for him, they'll have to bake for him, they'll have to take care of, of, of his, you know, his livery. Pasuk yud dalet, ved stoteichem, ved karmeichem, viseiteichem atovim yikach. He says, your fields, right, your vineyards, your olive groves, he's going to take all of that stuff. And he's going to, that's called, we call that tax, right? Masach, masach. There'll be taxes. So he says, you're going to lose, he says, speaking with the voice of some sort of experience or knowledge or awareness of what went on around Eretz Israel, he says, this is a ridiculous. This is ridiculous. The same is true. Pasuk Tetva 15, Zar Eichem Vekarmeichem, the things that grow from seeds and the, the vineyards, they will all be, yeah, yeah, he will tax you. He'll take it all away. He will take it all away. Shmuel and Avi, Pasuk Tet Zion. All of your slaves and all of your young people and all of the, the women, and your donkeys, he'll use them all for his own purposes. Your sheep will be taxed. And at the end, you will become slaves. Now, you know how he knew all of this, Shmuel and Avi? You know, from? From? Prophecy. No, well, maybe, I don't know. But I mean, he knew it from someplace. Like, he's got all the details. Well, he knew it from Egypt. This is what Yosef did. Isn't it what Yosef did to the Egyptians? Okay, he wasn't taxing them, he was selling them stuff, but it doesn't matter. At the end, they had nothing. They couldn't buy anymore. So, so he made them a deal. He said, I'll take your property. I'll take your slaves. I'll take whatever you have left, whatever is screwed onto the ground. I'll take it. So and he why, did. So why did the people want kings then? Wait. Okay, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. I'm not, I'm not in charge of every question. Okay. <laughs> and you come screaming before the king that you have chosen. This is prophecy. This is prophecy. When did that happen? After Shlomo Melech died. They came to Shlomo Melech's son whose name was Rechavon. Still Rechavon. Many times as I say it. He went to Rechavim and they said, look, we can't do it. We can't pay. What did Rechavim say? You know my father? He was a nice guy. I'm going to tax you twice as much. Twice as much. And as a result of the intransigence of Rechavim, maybe, the nation split it to half. And there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Right, the northern kingdom, there was also a king of the northern kingdom who was brought in from the bench, from somebody's bench, whose name was Yeravam ben Nevat, and it seemed to be a very poor choice because Yeravam ben Nevat ended up as 
being registered as the worst king in the history of kingship in Eretz Yisrael. But he was anointed, he was anointed halachically, the first king in a chain has to be anointed. The son doesn't have to be anointed, the grandson, but the first one has to be. So Yerabam ben Avad was anointed, was anointed by Shmuel Hanavi, the same Shmuel Hanavi. No, one second. Achia Hashilani. Thank you very much. He was anointed by Achia Hashilani. Okay. Wait, Who was a Navi? Who was a real prophet? Shmuel didn't want to have a king, so why did he anoint him? He anointed Shaul. But why? Because he, he God, told, God told him to. But he was against it, though. But God told him to. He was against the idea of kingship, but he wasn't against doing what God told him to do. So, so again, one more line here. Uh, he's, uh, he, the Shmuel Anavi says, "Pasuk you'll scream out on that day, Milifnei Malkechem, before standing before your King Hashem You chose him, Hashem etchem and then you will have. You won't be able to say anything. You won't be able to complain." to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that the king is very a bad boy because I'm telling you now that you shouldn't do it but if you do it you're responsible Pasuk Yutet the last Pasuk the last Pasuk is Vayimanu Ha'am Bishmoa Bekol Shmuel Vayomru Lo Ki Himelech Aleinu and so the people it wasn't so much that they didn't realize what Shmuel said was true but what do they always think? They're going to make so much money that they'll be able to pay the taxes. They'll make so much money that they'll have pride in the, the, in the kingship that is, uh, that is being presented. So that's what happened to today, Israel. The point that I'm making, the point that I'm making is that if you look in the history of kingship in Eretz Israel is doubtful. Like we don't know. Should we do it? Shouldn't we do it? Should there be a king? Should there be a king? Now I tell you as an aside, it's well known that the Rambam's position, this is a machloket in the Gemara in the beginning of Sanhedrin, the Kof Bet, I think. It's a machloket in the Gemara. Whether if there's a mitzvah, we'll see the Pesach in a minute, there's a mitzvah to have a king, or it's free will, free will choice to have a king. Uh, uh, the, the Rambam Paskins in Hilchot Melachim, he actually says it's a halacha that you come to Eretz Yisrael, you have to have a king. You have to make a king because you have to get rid of the, of the nations of Canaan and you have to get rid of Amalek. In order to fulfill those charges that we were placed upon us, you have to have a king. You have to have somebody to organize it. That's what the Rambam says. But it would seem from the story Right, the story of Shmuel and the people of Israel and having a king was far from certain. But not only that, not only that, if you look back uh, uh, page two, we'll go backwards. Page two, page two at the bottom. Page two at the bottom, Tvarim Perakuzai. This is the parasha, the Chumash. Now we're in Chumash, right? We're finished with Shmuel. We've moved backwards. The Chumash Pesach This is a, a lingo that was very common in the book of Dvarim. Kitavo el haaretz. Like something's going to happen when you come to Eretz Yisrael. When you come to Canaan. When you live in Canaan. What's going to happen? First, right, you will inherit the land you will sit in it, meaning that you will divide it up. Everybody will get a portion. People will build houses, have families. All that is going to happen. Va'amarta. And this is the strange thing about the Pasuk. It's not clear whether it's a mitzvah or not, but it says va'amarta. Va'amarta, you will say, asima alai melech You will say, that the time has come to have a king. 
So this is not the usual formulation in the Torah. The Torah says on Pesach, you eat a matzah. On Sukkot, you shake a lulav. It doesn't say any place. If you come to this idea of eating a, a matzah, then eat one. Only about a king. Only about the king does this formulation exist in the Torah. Where it says, Vamarta, Asima alai melech. I want to have a king. Kechol hagoyim asher svivotai. That somehow, it's not exactly a mitzvah, but it's something that you should do, maybe. I mean, you have to think about that. The next pasuk says, Som tasim alecha melech. It was, if you want a king, you should have a king. That was the discussion between Shmuel Hanavi and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? The people say we want a king. Shmuel said, don't do it. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Shmuel, if they want it, give it to them. Let them, have, let them have a king. And that seems to be the formulation in the Torah. If they want it, then they should do it. Right? That's the two steps here. Asima alai melech, pasuk yudalit, and then pasuk tedvav, som tasima lecha melech. Asheh yivchar Hashem lukecha bo mikerev achecha tasima lecha melech. Lo tuchal atet alav ish nachri asheh achicha. The only limitation is that you can't have a king who's not Jewish. Right? Which was lasted until when? Until Hurdus. Uh, there was never a king of Israel who was not Jewish. Or this is problematic. His yichus is problematic. Ted Zion. Now here we have again uh, limitations that the Torah places on the institution of kingship. Ted Zion. Ragloya belosusim. Can't have a lot of horses. Beloya shiva Mitzrayim. And he shouldn't take everybody back to Mitzrayim. Maybe to get horses, Mitzrayim was a horses center. Leman harbot sus. They shouldn't go back to Mitzrayim in order to get a lot of horses. Vashem amalachem lota sifa l'shuba derchazeh. Oh, then God said to you, don't go that way. Don't go back to Mitzrayim. Don't get a lot of horses. Don't get a lot of horses means don't make a lot of money. I mean, you don't need the money. What do you need the money for? To buy horses and to buy chariots and to buy, you know, all the stuff that goes with r- regal behavior. Pasuk Yud Zayin. Velo ya belo nashim. Velo ya su libavo. Vekesev izav lo ya belo maod. You shouldn't have a lot of wives. Right? A lot of wives means means a lot of, of uh, connections. A lot, a lot of covenants with other nations. That's the way they sealed these kinds of arrangements, even in the Middle Ages, what we call the Middle Ages, you know, France and Germany, all these duchies and little little countries or pseudo countries, so they intermarried, that they married their children to each other in order to kind of maintain their good intentions. So this is the same thing, the same thing. Lo yabedo nashim. He shouldn't like to think about other things. And he should not try to accumulate gold and silver, i.e. money. Right? That's gold and silver. So that, that the, the Torah demands, Torah demands a high level of moral uh, behavior. He shouldn't be interested in money. He should be interested in the welfare of the people. Right? So what did Shmuel Hadavi say? What did Shmuel say? That this is, this is the messianic hope. That you'll get a king who's not going to be interested. In, you know, who won't be under indictment. You get a king who's not under indictment. You're in the messianic era. Right? The norm is to be under indictment. Uh, so, so that was what Shmuel said. Shmuel said, look, I know this parasha in the Torah. I also went to Cheder. And I know what it says. But, it, you know, it's not going to be. It's not going to be. Whereas HaKadosh Baruch told Shmuel and Avi that, you know, 
being an adult implies responsibility. And you can't assume that people remain children forever. And they have to, they have to be responsible. But at the end, at the end, the malchut, the kingship of Israel, in three different, three different times, led to the dissolution of the malchut and exile. It was galut, exile from Eretz Yisrael, is always associated with the dissolution of kingship. Right, 722 BCE, the, the Assyrian, with an A, the Assyrian king Sanacherib got rid of the ten tribes and kicked them out of Eretz Yisrael to who knows where. Right, I, it seems to me we still don't know, even though there's some people who think that they do know. You know, that's a different, it's a side story. But the first exile from Eretz Yisrael was the dissolution of kingship in the northern kingdom. Remember, the northern kingdom was started by Yeravam ben Nevat. After Rechavam, the son of Shlomo Melech, refused to give people a break on what they had to pay and what they, what they owed, right? All of that, all of that uh, happened with the dissolution of the monarchy. The second dissolution of the monarchy was Sidkiyahu Amalek, right? Bayit Rishon. We sort of focus on Bayit Rishon, but we have to understand. But what else happened was the dissolution of the monarchy of Yehuda. They came back to Eretz Yisrael more or less after 50 years. That was 586 BCE. They came back in 50 years. They came back to Eretz Yisrael in 50, 50 years. By 70 years, they had the Beit HaMikdash sort of sort of operational, but from that time until the exile by the Romans in 70, 70 CE, there was tremendous about the corruption and, uh, and uh, uh, the monarchy did not work in a, a proper manner, even after the Chashmonaim, right? The Chashmonaim were one, uh, one, 35 BCE. They reestablished the monarchy in Eretz Yisrael. However, it ended badly with uh, Hordus and, uh, and the dissolution of the monarchy by the, by the Romans. Right? The Romans took care of that. So you see that the monarchy the monarchy was partially res uh, responsible because the monarchy turned into all these things that the Torah says you should avoid. So, there's one other thing. One other thing. Pasuk Yudchet. To emphasize the moral obligation of the king the, the, the obligation that the king has to the values in the Torah, even though everybody has that obligation. But the obligation of the Torah, of the king was unique according to Sukim. He should write the entire Sefer Torah, Mishneh Torah. He should write it twice. Two Sifrei Torah. Pasuk Yudet. And that, that uh, Torah should remain with him, the Karabo Kol Yomei Chayav, and he should read it, Kol Yomei Chayav, read it again and again, as uh, wherever he is. So in order to ensure, in order to ensure that the king will remain devoted to the principles enunciated here in this parasha for the king. He's got to write the Sefer Torah, carry it around with him. You know, the, the uh, Gemara in Sotah uh, uh, explains that, that he had to, when he went to battle, he had to tie the Torah onto his arm. And that's how, that's how much he had to be with the Torah. Even at the time of battle, he had to, he had to have that Torah in mind. So that you see, you see that the Torah is sort of like 
imagining that it's just not going to work. That the, that the king, you know, given, given authority and given power and given, you know, goals that are really uh, imply subjugation of the people for some greater good that, uh, that we don't always understand, that the high moral ground is not going to be maintained. That the Torah says it, and then the Torah says in the last pasuk here, that he should not see himself as being greater than his fellows. That's a hard one, right? Those of you who've experienced kingship. And he should not deny the mitzvah neither to the right nor to the left, meaning you shouldn't deviate. You shouldn't deviate, make a new mitzvah. Make something that you that you do, right? You shouldn't do that. In order that his kingship should be graced with long long years, right? Who Yisrael that he will be the king and his son after him and his son's son after him and and that's the that's the promise that's the promise. So we see we see that there's a certain doubt in the Torah about whether we can really achieve the high ground of a moral kingship, and we also see it carried out actually carried out in the in the disagreement that Shmuel has with what the Tanakh calls Zekeinim, the elders, people who are knowledgeable, people who know what Shmuel is talking about, and that finally HaKadosh Baruch had to intervene at the time of Shmuel Hanavi to enable, to enable Shmuel to grant this opportunity to, uh, uh, to a king, that there would be a king. And the first king, as you know, the first king, as you know, was Shaul HaMelech. And Shaul HaMelech was from the tribe of Binyamin. And even though it would seem that Yaakov, in his blessing to Yehuda, had already said that Yehuda is the one who is going to, to have kingship come from Yehuda, nevertheless, nevertheless, Shaul from Binyamin became the first king of Israel. Now you could say, and some people may have said, that Binyamin, after all, the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash, if you know the map, like here's Yerushalayim, you see Yerushalayim, everything below Yerushalayim is Yehuda except for Shimon, which is down at the bottom here. They disappeared, Shimon, into Yehuda. They weren't exiled, but they disappeared. They weren't exiled by the Assyrians in 722 BC, but they became absorbed into Yehuda. So again, here's Yerushalayim. Below Yerushalayim is Yehuda. Above Yerushalayim, or like like a sort of an enclave above Yerushalayim is Binyamin. And so the Beit HaMikdash, Beit HaMikdash was built mostly in the territory of Yehuda, but the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies, was built in the territory of Binyamin. So that means that somehow there's a connection between Yehuda and Benjamin, it doesn't exist with other with the other tribes. Other tribes, everybody had their portion, but there was nothing that connected the two portions together. But Yehuda and Benjamin, something connected them, and that was the Beit Hamikdash. Connected, connected Yehuda and and uh, Benjamin. So it may be, it may be that somehow Benjamin and Yehuda were taken in some places as being the same. Like if you had, if, if, if a monarchy was promised to Yehuda, it could also go to Binyamin. 
because somehow Benjamin and Yehuda are connected through the Beit HaMikdash they're like one even though they're not from the same family, right? not from the same family Yehuda's mother was Leah and Benjamin's mother was Rachel so they were not connected in that way but they were connected by the Beit HaMikdash and the Kodesh Kodeshim was built on the territory of Binyamin. And the rest of the Beit HaMikdash was built on the territory of, of Yehuda. And that's why Yehuda eventually received a part of Yericho. It was after, at the beginning, when, you, when they came to Eretz Yisrael, so Yehuda had that territory. Yehuda and Benjamin, there was no Beit HaMikdash. It took 430 years until the Beit HaMikdash was built. So that for those 430 years, they had that, you know, 10 acres or 20 acres or whatever it is. So when they took away that, those acres, because the Beit HaMikdash was in a territory that belonged to everybody. All the Shvatim had rights in that, in that territory of the Beit HaMikdash and th therefore it was when they built the Beit HaMikdash they took away territory from Yehuda and a little bit from Benjamin but, but, uh, but a larger amount from Yehuda so Yehuda got compensation that's what Chazal say they were com compensated by Dushnoshel Yericho there was a, a place near Yericho which was very uh, special. It was a very special place, and that's what they got. That's what they got, Yehuda. They got it back. They got it back. That was Dushra Shel Yericho. So you see that there are certain connections between Yehuda and Binyamin that might be unexpected, but they are there. Those, those they, are, they, are really, they are really there. Okay, so we see that kingship in Israel is a problem. However, we see on the other hand that the theoretical idea of kingship is moral leadership. is somebody who can uh, produce a moral reaction in the community. Right? Somebody who can give us, lead us, in the same way that we think that there are military leaders who can lead us into battle, the idea that there are moral leaders that can lead us into a more moral kind of existence. And those people are not called Nevi'im, but they're called Melachim. Not because Nevi'im are not moral. They're moral, but they, they don't affect as many people with their edicts. I mean, the, the king, you know, he can every day put out an edict what, that everybody has to follow. And that's something special. So here we have, uh, we'll go back to Yosef again. Remember Yosef, Rashid Perik Labatzayim on page two. Vayeshev Yaakov Beretz Begurei Avi Beretz Kedad. Right, we remember that Yaakov Avinu thought that his life had been completed when he came back to Eretz Kedad. He had been in the diaspora and he'd gotten through it, and he's rebuilt a family, and he's gotten rid of the idols after the, the story with Shechem. Right? He, he did it. He was a, and he, he faced off against Esau, and he battled with the angel, with Esau's angel. There was no reason for, Yosef, for Yaakov to think that there was something else that he had to do. And so the Torah says, Eile toldot Yaakov Yosef. Eile toldot Yaakov Yosef. Of course, if you're going, to, you're going to talk about the toldot of Yaakov, you should start from Ruvain, his firstborn son. How did Yosef get into the story? So, look at the Rashi in Pasuk Bet. Eile toldot Yaakov. You see the Rashi? It's down uh, three inches down. In the Rashi. Skip the first Pasuk. Elishel Toldot Yaakov. These are the stories that we put in the heading of Toldot Yaakov, the generations. 
Eile Yishuvehem Begilgulehem. These are the where they they uh, lived. Yishuv Gilgulehem. Gilgulim are causes. The causes for the effects that we see. Gilgulehem. Achebaul Leklal Yishuv. All of the things that happened to them until they became settlers, dwellers of Eretz Kenan. Sibar Siba, the word Siba is the word cause in medieval Jewish philosophy. Right? Sibarishona, Yosef Ben This is the first cause. This is how it started. This is the second story of the life of Yaakov. How does the second story of the life of Yaakov begin? Yosef. He did it. So this is not a reckoning about how many children Yaakov had or how big his family was or where they, where they lived, but it's story number two about Yaakov. Right? Story number two. Story number one about Yaakov started with him uh, trying to fool his father about, uh, about who he was and what he deserved and uh, getting together with his mother. And then this is story number two. Right? Yosef and Shema Asrevi Gomer. Al Yedei Zenit Galgelu Viyardu Limitzrayim. Al Yedei Zen. In this manner, the people in the family were, were caused to go down to Mitzrayim as it was supposed to be according to God's word to Abraham Avinu. You're going to go to Mitzrayim. Your children are going to go to Mitzrayim. So this is it. V'zeu achar pshuto shel mikra and he says he makes a comment you know Rashi had a thing about Pshat he wanted to say Pshat he wasn't always able to wasn't always able to confine himself to Pshat but he was interested in Pshat so what what does Rashi Rashi say this where I tell you that this is the story of how the Jews got to Mitzrayim and uh, etc that's Pshat but there's an Agadah. Agadah means it's not Pshat. But not Pshat doesn't mean that it's not significant or not important. Other Rashi quotes the Drash after he quotes the Pshat because he feels that the Drash has something to say of importance about the Pasuk that we should know. That we should know. So Rashi does this all the time. So he says, the reason that the Pesach says, the Pesach says, Toldot Yaakov, and then says Yosef, is uh, there are several reasons for that. Right? And when Yaakov worked for his wives, he really wanted to marry Rachel. So if he really wanted to marry Rachel, then Yosef is really his firstborn son. In, in, in other words, the Pasuk says, Yosef. Well, why does it say that? So the answer is because Yaakov wanted to marry Rachel. Lavan fooled him. And he ended up marrying Leah first. But when he had a child with, with Rachel, in his mind, that was his firstborn child. That was the child he really wanted to have. And in those days, in those days, I suppose you could do that. You know, that's how it, that's how it worked. Second, Shaya Zivi Kodin Yosef Domelo. Ziv is the shine of the icon, right? In other words, if you'd make if you'd look at both of them together, they would look exactly the same. Yaakov and Yosef. Which is another reason to start from Yosef. Everything that happened to Yaakov, he was in a bad situation or custom, and he had to fight his way out of there. And uh, it wasn't so clear. So that also happened to Yosef in some general sense. Yaakov was hated by Esau and, Yos, uh, Yos, uh, uh, 
and, and uh, sorry, and Yosef was aided in Mitzrayim. Yaakov's brother Esau tried to kill him, and Yosef's brothers tried to kill him. And there are many others. If you look in Breshit Rabbah, you'll see others' similarities between Yaakov and Esau. Yosef. What? Yaakov and Yosef, I'm sorry. Because Yaakov leshev b'shalva, only Drash Rashi says that this is Rashi. He's not just telling us a medrash. He's not. He's not at a Brits or in a way. <laughs> he wants to tell me something that you have to know. That this is something you have to know about the pasuk. And what you have to know is only Drash It is further said in the medrash. That's what the Drash I mean, it doesn't mean it's a lesser form of interpretation. It's exactly the same. Right, Pshat and Drash exactly the same, but Rashi's job is always to choose what you have to know, what we the students have to know. So Rashi says, that that Yaakov wanted Leishabeshalva. What does Leishabeshalva mean? What does it mean? What? What? No, no, it means he thought he, he was, in, yeah, he thought he was retired, right? That was finished. That his life, he had done in his life what he was supposed to do. And now he was just going to sit around and, 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 and drink beer or something. So he says, B'kesh Yaakov, this is the drusha, B'kesh Yaakov, Shev Salva Kofatz, Allah, Rogzo Shel Yosef, so Yosef, Yosef got angry at his father. What do you think? You know, life is over. It's not over yet. That the righteous do righteous want to sit quietly in retirement? He says, I don't understand. It's not enough for these tzaddikim. What they're going to get in Olam Abba? They're going to get a good deal. There'll be seats on the 50-yard line. What's going on? Right? Uh, they have work to do. They always have work to do. Does Joseph get angry with his father? Why is Yosef? Angry with his I don't know. I guess Yosef knew that he needed help. They needed help because he had, his father had to send him to find the sheep. He had to do something. But in any event, any event, Pasuk Gimel, Yisrael Ahavet Yosef Mikol Banav Ki Ben Skunim Hulo, Vasalo Ketonet Masim. Oh no, I'm sorry, back to Pasuk Gimel. No, Pasuk Bet. I'm sorry. He says, Ele Toldot Yaakov Yosef Ben Shvazwe Shana, Ayaro Et Achabat Son. He was a shepherd with his. Achim. Et achav means im echav. Rashi says that many times. Vehu na'ar, and he was something. A na'ar. We know what the word na'ar means, but it doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit in exactly. Et b'nei bilhav, et b'nei zilpah, neshei aviv. He was a na'ar towards to the children of Zilpah and Bilhav. Right, the Sheyaviv, the other two wives of his father, So this is this is Perak Lamed Zion, Perak Lamed Zion thirty-seven. Right, the story of Yosef goes on. Besides the book of Shemot, the story of Yosef goes on till chapter fifty. 37 to 50. That's a lot. Right? 13 chapters. 13 chapters. And, and you think that the, the Torah had a lot of time to say something nasty about Yosef. But it chooses to open up the discussion about Yosef with a description of his nastiness. Of his, Yosef's nastiness. Quite remarkable. I mean, the man who's going to save the world that is going to save the family. That is going to get them started on slavery in Egypt. 
which is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted, that man was the nastiest one in the family. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Ruhunar. You see those words, Ruhunar? It's the fourth wide line in the Rashi. Shayao Nid He would act childishly. He Ruhunar. He is a Na'ar. Because he's old enough to be responsible, but he acts irresponsibly like a child. Shayao Narut, like what? Mitakein Bisa'aro. Right? He would like. Like uh, fix his hair. Mitakein b'saro mimashmeish be'enaven. Do something, you know, to rub out, rub his eyes, and make them look good. Kedeshin near ye near e yafek. Okay, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a bal musa to know that a person about whom you say kedeshin ye near e yafek. That's not a compliment. We're not talking about, we're not talking about uh, a dugmanim. What's a dugman? A model. Like we're not getting, we're not talking about people who are getting paid to look yafet. We're talking about a, about a person who has the wrong idea about what it is that his identity, what his identity means. A person destined to save the world and a person destined to save Am Yisrael. You wouldn't think that he'd be concerned about that, but he is. And not only that, not only that, Ed B'nai Bilhah, you see the Rashi at the end of that line, Klomar, Ragil, Ed B'nai Bilhah. They were, he, Yosef, hung out with the children of Bilhah. So the brothers were not nice to them, and he was. So this is a positive statement about, uh, about Yosef. The end of the Pasuk, Yosef tackled on them. He went back to his father and he told them all the things they did that were, that were bad. Rashi, Eti Batam Ra'ah. Says anything he saw that the brothers did that was unacceptable, he ran to tell his father. Just the brothers. Just the Leah brothers. Just the brothers of the sons of Leah, not the sons. Right, that's what that's what it says. Not the Bilhah, the brothers. That they didn't keep that mitzvah in the Torah of not eating Eva Menachai, a limb off of a living animal. And he would, they would insult the children of Bilah and Zilpah and call them slaves, call them slaves. Rashi really got it in for Yosef. What? Rashi really has it in for Yosef. I mean, it's all Rashi. It's not the Torah. It's not in the Torah, but it's in the Medrash. Yeah. It's Rashi. So it says, Hashudim al Arayot, and they were not uh, careful with their uh, sexual activity. Ubishloshtan Laka. It says on each of these uh, things that he told, these stories that Yosef told, he was punished. He was he was punished. Bishloshdan again. It doesn't matter. Rashi says In other words, Yosef was punished for each of these averot. That, that's how we know that they did the that they did the uh, Abirot. Uh, a few, uh, just a few more psukim. A few more psukim. I'm sorry. Vayachalom Yosef Chalom Vayged Leecha Pasukei. He dreamt a dream and he told his brothers Vayisivo Snoto Vayomaleem Shimuna Chalom Azeshachalamte. Now this seems to me seems to me to be another indication of the faulty behavior that Yosef is accused of because he knew 
that they would be angry, that the brothers would be unhappy. Because after all, the dream said that Yosef was going to become king. Now that's not going to make you happy if that's the guy who's telling stories to your father about yourself. That's not, that's not the case. So, but he says, And then he, he goes through uh, the dream and the brothers, Pasuk Chet. You see the you see Pasuk Chet? Pasuk Chet is by Yomrulo Echaba Malochtim Lochaleinu in Mashaltim Shalbanu. Yosifot Sinoa Tochalamotav Aldevarav. So it's not always clear who's at fault. Because what Yosef might have done was privately discuss the dream, which is obvious, it's obvious what it means, with his father, and not spread it out in front of the it's one of the brothers. So we have another case. We have another case where Yosef is is problematic. Yosef is problematic, and then pasuk tet vayachalom od chalom acher vayisaper otolayachav. I mean, the second dream is the same as the first dream. So why did he tell it to his brothers? And the brothers already hated him for for raising the possibility that he would be the king. Right? Oh, I had another dream. And then finally in Pasuk Yud, he told the story to his father after he told it to his brothers. Means he was angry. And he said, what is this dream that you dreamt? Hmm? So Rashi says, Rashi says about this last pursuit by Igarbo. Four lines from the bottom. He was the cause of this hatred. In other words, Yaakov tries to modify the hatred of the brothers to Yosef by saying that maybe the dream is not true. Well, what was the dream? The sun and the moon and the stars. So you would think that you're talking about the father, the mother, and the brothers. So Yaakov says, Yaakov says, uh, You see, four lines from the bottom, the last three words on the line. Yaakov says, Your mother's dead. So Raji goes on and says, But really, we're talking about Bilha. She was the maid servant of Rachel. And this is like a rule about dreams, that dreams are not all all perfect and therefore you can't ever know what a, what a dream actually means because there's something in the dream which is irrelevant but you don't know what it is and since you don't know what it is you really don't know what the dream says says either but the point is that Yaakov wanted to mitigate the hatred of the brothers for Yosef and the way that he did it was by saying well this dream can't really come true because your mother is dead that's what that's what Yaakov, uh, Yaakov say, uh, says. So you see that in this introductory chapter to the story of Yosef, mo- most of which Yosef is very laudatory and very appreciated and actually does things that no one else could imagine doing, but in this introductory material, Yosef is clearly put down. He's not worthy. He's not the moral paragon that the Torah wants to be king. He's not the person who spreads uh, good qualities amongst his family, his brothers, and the other. He's not that person. And therefore, he cannot become the king of Israel. The king of Egypt, yes, because the Egyptian king is not bound by the strictures of the Torah. He's not bound by 
So, okay, if, uh, if a person becomes king at a young age and then eventually turns out to be bad, uh, so it's a problem. But, uh, but if, uh, uh, if you don't know, you don't know how he's going to turn out, so you give him the, the chance. But with Yosef, we know how he's going to turn out because he started out that way. So we're not going to let Yosef become the king, the king of Israel. Now, just one more thing. If you look at the first page, look at Moshe Rabbeinu. See Moshe Rabbeinu. Remember, everybody knows how Moshe Rabbeinu was born. And, uh, and the interesting thing about uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, an interesting thing about Moshe Rabbeinu, Right? is that Moshe Rabbeinu grew up in the house of the king of the Pharaoh. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh. Now, what was he in the house of Pharaoh? We gotta imagine. What was he? He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So if he's the son of Pharaoh's daughter, I assume that he went to, when he went to school, you know, he went to like a little school for little kids. He dressed up with like short pants and bows and you know, all kinds of cute, cute clothing, as they had in those those days, and he was uh, appreciated. I mean, he didn't get kicked out, right? He wasn't sent away. Somehow, he and his surrogate mother, the daughter of Paro, managed to to live in the palace of the king. Now, it could be that. Moshe Rabbeinu learned when he was a child. He learned from his mother and from his sister. And he knew certain things about himself, but he certainly was able to pull off a, uh, a, a, an imagined personality uh, that it was appropriate to the Egyptian personality. Right? And yet, in Pasuk Yud, you see Pasuk Yud? Pasuk Yud, Vaigdal HaYelet, Okay, Moshe is another story, like, what's Moshe? How does it fit in with Hebrew? Was she taking an old pan? You know, bat paro? Unlikely. But in any event, after he grew up a little bit, I mean, how much could it be? Two years that she was uh, feeding him, breastfeeding him. So finally he gets, uh, he grows up, so he grew up, and then he went to the house of, of Paro. Now what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean by Yitzay Elechav? Vayigdal Moshe. I don't, I can't hear you. Oh, by Yigdal Hayyad in the previous passage, and now by Yigdal Moshe. Yeah. Also. So. It's also curious. Oh, you want to just, yeah, okay. No, but I just want, I, I, I want to say, it says, by Yitzay Elechad, right? Doesn't it say that? By Yigdal Moshe, by Yitzay Elechad. What do you mean by Yitzay Elechad? By Yitzay Elechad means that they were connected somehow. The fact that he was Achav was something that everybody knew. So you mean that, that Moshe Rabbeinu took off his, his fancy clothing and he looked like everybody else that was in one of his brethren. And, and they all saw that he was affected by that. He was affected by that somehow he pulled it off. So he could not suffer the sufferings of one of his a family member. And so he killed the person who was oppressing him. So Moshe Rabbeinu is presented to us, presented. It's not always true in the Tanakh. We don't know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose Yirmiyahu to be a Navi. Even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu said about Yirmiyahu, 
Tartiha. I knew you from before you were born. I knew you were going to be uh, a, a Navi. But when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah is very careful to tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu had a dominant moral streak, that he could not escape it. And that moral streak, that moral streak distinguished him from the rest of the family of the king. Whereas Yosef, Yosef was not distinguished from the family of the king, even though he wasn't a member of the family. Remember, the paro named him, gave him a name, gave him a wife. But even though he managed to, uh, to live through it, Yosef, he was, he was nevertheless uh, an Egyptian. And he spoke like an Egyptian, and he looked like an Egyptian, he walked and talked like an Egyptian. He was so much of an Egyptian that it was inconceivable that he would become the king of, of Israel. Because the king of Israel, the foundation, the rock foundation, which was Moshe Rabbeinu, the kingship, even though he wasn't the king, but he was the foundation of kingship in Israel, had that moral underpinning which determined the way he would act, even if it was dangerous, even if it was something that, uh, that caused him to run away to Midian and meet up with his future father-in-law. And, uh, and in spite of that fact, he did it. He acted it out. So he set the tone for Malchut in Yisrael, which was uh, adopted, re restated, I imagine with David HaMelech, right? He became the, not only the military leader of Am Yisrael, but the, uh, the Musr leader, right? Tehillim, uh, plaintive uh, position towards God, and etc. So I think if you look at the parashiyot carefully, you'll see why quite clearly why Yosef did not become the king of Israel, and why uh, ultimately another king had to be chosen. And the king that was chosen by Yaakov or the, or was, was Yehuda, in spite of the fact that it wasn't necessary. Apparently, if all of the Jewish people were on that ethical level, they were able to be as God wanted them to be, and to consider spiritual values or human values above making money, which is very difficult in this day and age uh, as well, uh, then, uh, then they wouldn't have needed a king. They would, they would be able to lead themselves. They would take themselves in the right direction as they were able to do in the period of the Shoftim. Okay. Well, Moshe, Moshe did not start a line of kings. He wasn't. He was just the model for kingship. When you say about Yosef that by not um, cooperating with Potiphar's wife, without paying the price of going to prison, they also had also was a moral leader in that yeah. sense, Hatzadik. Yes, it, it is true. It is true that Yosef is called Hatzadik because of that of that event, and I'm sure that that means that means something, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. Why is it that Joseph is criticized for reporting on what the, the sons of Leah did, but they themselves are not criticized for what they did? I mean, they, 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 well, they, these are serious things. No, they were criticized. In the measures, they were criticized. I mean, the, 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 it's clear the emphasis is that, oh, Joseph did a terrible thing by reporting on them. But they themselves did terrible things in the first place. I mean, if they hadn't done the, all that, there would be nothing to report. So, um, um, so why is uh, why is it that Yosef is one? It looks like the bad guy in, 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 in this matter. We want to know about the, whether it's a halacha of lashon hara. 
The halacha is that you should only report somebody's misgivings or misdoings if you think it'll be helpful to set them straight. And perhaps Yaakov could set them straight. Yeah, no, but he said, Dibatam Ra'am He did bring it to Yaakov. Yeah. He brought it to Yaakov, but the reason he's held in, uh, uh, he's not, that doesn't, you know, we don't approve of it is because it wasn't solvable. There was nothing we could do. They would. The halacha about tochacha, right? I have an obligation to speak out against people who are doing the wrong thing, but that obligation is limited to a situation where I think I could actually affect the the the, the way they act. It's not just that you know. So what I'm saying so therefore you're saying that. There's nothing to do with the brothers. They were going to sin no matter what. Right. That's, that's pretty, Could be. That's a pretty happy indictment. <laughs> against yeah. that. But there are a few people like that. But these are the these are the brothers who are generally considered good people. I don't know. I don't know about that. They they each of them seem to have problems. Mm-hmm. Each of the brothers, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, they all have problems. So I did something wrong. Today, in fact, the guy smoking his cigarette, he's one of the teachers at H. I once said, throws the butt on the ground. I said, why do you throw the butt on the ground? You wouldn't throw your living room. He said, yeah. And he walked away and threw it on the ground. So I shouldn't have said it because you can't get a smoker not to throw his garbage on the ground. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know we've got every smoker in the hand, but... Okay. Have a good show. Yeah, I'm